0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on
1: Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day here at Midweek. Again, we hope you are safe and well and taking all the precautions you can and uh, be careful and reach out, stay in touch with others that uh, you can't go physically be with right now but uh, let them know you're thinking about them making sure that they're okay as well coming up on our program today we're going to talk infrastructure needs across the country roads bridges waterways we'll talk with mike steenhook executive director of the soy transportation coalition we're going to look at the impact of covid19 on our dairy exports we know the dairy industry one of the ag sectors really hard hit we're going to talk with tom vilsack former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. And also we're going to get the latest numbers of the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer with Michael Langemeyer, Purdue ag Economist, as expected with what's going on in the world uh, those numbers are down we'll go over those barometer numbers a little bit later on in the program but let's start things off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry thank you for joining us hope you are well and uh, I guess uh, we're starting to hear more and more about Congress going to look at a fourth round of assistance to try to uh, get the economy going and just kind of reach out and help small businesses and everyone being impacted uh, by this COVID-19.
2: Yes, that's right. Uh, There may be a bill passed this week uh, to put more money into the Small Business Administration programs, uh, but it's still unclear exactly what access farmers are going to have to the SBA programs. Uh, At the same time, the Democrats are demanding that this bill include a 15 percent increase in food stamp benefits or SNAP benefits, as they're now known. Uh, So we're going to have to see if that really goes through this week as the uh, White House wants.
1: Meanwhile, we're hearing from several different sectors of the ag industry uh, requesting some assistance, some help. Farm Bureau, we talked with Zippy Duvall yesterday about their recommendations to the administration, to USDA, on how to use this money that it has uh, for agriculture.
2: Uh, Yes, uh, I'm receiving emails from all different sectors of agriculture and how much they want and uh, I can already tell there can't possibly be enough money to satisfy their, uh, their needs. The fruit and vegetable industry alone wants $5 billion, uh, and in that emergency fund that's supposed to benefit livestock producers and dairy and uh, uh, fruit and vegetable producers, there's only $9.5 billion. Uh, there's also the $14 billion replenishment in the uh, Commodity Credit Corporation, but as Zippy Duvall said yesterday or in the last few days that, uh, they're going to need much more than what has been provided so far.
1: Yeah, so it's a lot of money, but when you start divvying it up among all the the different sectors that are in need, it goes very, very quickly and it, it will run out very quickly. So, uh, Secretary Purdue saying that they're looking at all the possibilities and want to do what's best for agriculture. So we're kind of waiting uh, to see. And I wonder how long that's going to be before we hear from USDA on how they're going to allot that money.
2: Well, uh, Colin Peterson, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, said he thought that there might be something by the end of this week on the $9.5 billion emergency fund. Uh, another interesting thing that Peterson said in an interview th- this week was that he uh, does not uh, expect them to do anything for the commodity producers in the near future. Peterson said that per- as far as Purdue is concerned, his view is that the you know the the corn, soybean, wheat, cotton growers have all gotten recent government payments, and he's going to prioritize the other sectors first, the ones that haven't gotten payments and then turn to see what the situation is. Now, of course, at the same time, the commodity prices have plummeted. So I think that the, I would expect the commodity groups to put a lot of pressure on for them to get some assistance as soon as possible.
1: Yeah, well, we've talked a lot about the ripple effect. I mean, the, the biofuels industry is hard hit. They're certainly seeking help. And because they're hardhead and plants are shutting down, that takes away markets for corn and, and soybeans, which affects those commodity prices that you just mentioned. So it is very much a ripple effect. So you could, I guess, if you help the the biofuels industry, that then you are indeed indirectly helping the uh, corn and soybean growers, for instance. So there there'll be a lot of ways they could look at doing this.
2: Uh, yes. Well, the, the 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 help to the biofuels industry would help in the would would help in the short run, but the only thing that can help them in the long run is 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 uh, getting the economy moving again if uh, If people don't drive, uh, there's nothing to be done with all this corn for ethanol. Uh, it's the same thing with with the oil industry. Uh, we just have you know everything has stopped. One thing I've noticed is there's really no news except for the coronavirus activity. Uh, because everything else in the economy is shut down.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and along the biofuels front, there, the appeal that was filed by some oil refiners to that 10th Circuit Court ruling on the small refinery exemptions, uh, as most predicted, those oil refineries lost that appeal. So now there's speculation it may go on to the Supreme Court.
2: Uh yes, and then there's another court that's supposed to there's another filing in the in the court in a court in d c about that. Uh, for the moment, I would say it looks like the 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 ethanol uh industry has won this one, uh but you know, you never can tell if something if something actually goes to the Supreme Court uh We'll have to see about that. And also, it'll be interesting that if it did go to the court, would the Trump administration support the oil industry um, or would they would they just decline to intervene, which would be a signal that they were supporting the ethanol producers?
1: Yeah, still questions there. Meanwhile, on the cattle side, NCBA now asking the administration to take a closer look at what's happening with cattle markets and some of the concerns there.
2: Yes, I was very interested in that because NCBA has usually been very supportive of the of the markets as they are. And of course, uh the National Farmers Union, RCAF, U.S. Cattlemen's Association had already been uh you know pushing for this and uh some members of Congress such as Chuck Grassley and and um, uh, Deb Fisher from Nebraska uh and now uh but NCBA climbing on board uh, 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 since it's the biggest cattle organization and the most mainstream, uh gives the efforts for investigations a lot more push.
1: All right, Jerry, thanks for being with us. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk again soon, okay?
2: That's great. I am. I'm staying safe in my house in Washington. Uh, just uh, uh, trying to go through all the emails I get about all the assistance everyone wants.
1: Yeah, we're doing everything remotely, that's for sure. Jerry, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, we talk infrastructure needs with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
3: Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, there has been talk of a stimulus package being part of whatever recovery or uh Package they come up with in Congress that uh, infrastructure would be a part of that stimulus and and get the uh, much-needed work done and get people working again. But we've heard uh, talk about infrastructure improvement package uh, for some time now, and uh, nothing really seems to get done yet uh, in Congress on this in a major way. There's a lot of smaller things going on, so it remains to be seen if anything. Uh, gets put together on that anytime soon but what we do know is the need is there and we'll talk about that now with mike steenhook executive director of the soy transportation coalition mike thank you for joining us you've done a lot of work on this and and really breaking it down the infrastructure needs where we're at what's being done and what needs to be done and i want to kind of take this in different uh, sections here because infrastructure includes a lot of things obviously and we could get into broadband and a lot of the other needs that there are out there but I want to focus on three specific areas uh, the waterways the locks and dams uh, also roads and bridges so thanks for joining us let's start with the the waterways the rivers the locks and dams kind of give us an update on where we're at now what improvements are being made and what improvements really need to be made to try to bring this outdated uh, infrastructure more up-to-date?
0: Well, the, the the locks and dams that populate our inland waterway system, they they really serve an integral role for agriculture and the overall economy. So much of the, not necessarily the finished goods that you see on a grocery shelf, but the inputs that really allow the economy to flourish, and that includes soybeans and grain and other fertilizer and other agricultural commodities, they're really critical to, to ensure having this consistent, reliable uh, channel depth that allows barge transportation to occur. Uh, the good news is that we have had significant degrees of funding, increased funding over the last five years, about approaching 50% increase in funding for locks and dams. So that's the good news. Uh, The bad news is that the need is still quite exorbitant, and a lot of these locks and dams were built years ago. They've been allowed to decay, to degrade. And so there is a – remains a substantial need. But uh, Congress needs to visit what's called a Water Resources Development Act that's on their to-do list to do in 2020, And we are hopeful that they'll continue to be mindful of it and actually see something pass so that we can kind of keep this momentum and hopefully add to the momentum moving forward so that we can really make meaningful improvements to that system.
1: Because right now, because the system in places is so outdated, it really slows the movement of goods up and down our rivers.
0: Yeah, you know, a a typical... uh, flotilla or tow of barges that you'll see on say the upper Mississippi River or the Illinois River or the Ohio River will be 15 barges lashed together and then you'll have a towboat pushing it from the back and for most of the upper Mississippi River and the entire Illinois River You'll have these 600 foot long lock chambers by 110 feet wide and these 15 barge tows are too long to go through those 600-foot chambers. So what you have to do is every time you approach a lock, you have to unlash part of it, send part of it through, and then send the rest of it through. And so you're going through it in two segments or cuts each time. And for the, for example, the 27 locks that are between Minneapolis, St. Paul, and St. Louis, there's only three of them that have a longer 1,200-foot long chamber. The rest of them are that 600 feet in length. So every time you encounter one of those, it's the difference between a 45-minute journey through a lock, say if it's a 1,200-foot-length lock chamber, or a one-and-a-half-hour or two-hour-long two lockage if you have just a 600-foot-long chamber. And so it, it's, much, it's a much longer process. Time is, indeed, money when it comes to transportation. And so it is an additional cost imposed on the system. So we would love to see uh, more and more of those locks you know, not only upgraded, but some of those need to be replaced.
1: We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, looking at infrastructure needs in our country. Mike, so let's go from the waterway system, which is really a a road system, uh, just using water, but let's go to the roads, and certainly those two are connected because uh, if you have problems moving things on the water, you're going to move even more than on roads, and we have challenges there.
0: And we, we certainly saw a, a vivid example of this last year with the flooding on our navigable waterways. Normally, we would have a lot of fertilizer shipments that would have been received in the spring of 2019. And because the river was essentially shut down, so much of that bulk freight was shifted onto truck or shifted onto rail. And there's a real consequence to that. There's a cost consequence to that, but then there's also a congestion consequence to that. So you need to really have all of these modes of transportation working in concert with one another. It is, each one is a link in a longer logistics chain. And so we're very hopeful that we can be attentive to our surface transportation needs this year. You know, the temptation with this, the COVID-19 pandemic is to then push everything else onto the back burner. And I think, I think infrastructure is one of those issues where there should be even a greater urgency to do it because that promotes long-term wellness for the economy. And it would be a great signal to the broader economy that we as a nation are investing in ourselves and we are intent on being open for business. And investing in infrastructure is a great signal. So with our roads and bridges, including those in rural areas, Um, we've got a lot of structurally deficient rural bridges, and it really impedes the ability of farmers to get product to market for elevators to deliver to the river or to a rail-loading facility. And so a lot of these bridges are closed or load-posted. There's a cost associated with having to incur that detour. So it is our hope that as Congress visits what's commonly referred to as a highway bill this year, which they're scheduled to do, that they don't just focus on the urban needs of America, but also the rural needs of of America and rural bridges and, and roads. That's something that really needs to be, be a part of any comprehensive infrastructure package.
1: And that is probably an underreported story: uh, the conditions of our rural roads and bridges. And while well, for those in rural America that rely on the, especially those bridges, uh, we know how important they can be. And if If there's limitations or shutdowns on those bridges, it really backs things up.
0: It it backs things up, and then there's also a cost associated with it. We did a project a couple years ago with a county in central Michigan in which we were able to get load restrictions on three, three rural bridges, only three rural bridges, we were able to get them removed. But we were able to calculate because you no longer have detours on these three rural bridges. The bridges were in good condition. They could handle semi-traffic. They no longer needed to be posted. But because you eliminated these closures or postings, and therefore you, you eliminated the detours, the people in that county, that rural county, saved $100,000 every year just because you removed those restrictions on those – safely removed those restrictions on those three bridges. So you multiply that across the entire country, if we do a better job of replacing and repairing our rural bridges, there are, there's millions and millions of dollars of savings for farmers and other industries just by being more mindful and taking better care of our rural bridge inventory.
1: Well, Mike, we've been talking about this, uh, you and I, for some time. And I've thought for the last three and a half years, this was infrastructure was going to be the one thing that the two political parties could come together on and get something done right away. And yet here we are three and a half years later uh, since the last election and still no major comprehensive infrastructure bill. So I I know that's frustrating.
0: It it is. And, and, you know, we're, we're certainly hopeful that something that can get done this year, you're hearing from both the House Democrats, you're hearing from the president of the need to do something on infrastructure this year. And, and most of the attention in response to the COVID-19 pandemic thus far, and rightfully so, has been on more triage and stabilization kind of activities. As we increasingly turn from triage and stabilization to long-term wellness, we think infrastructure is a great... Uh, activity for our federal policymakers to engage in and to really invest in and so we think it should be a part of this response to this pandemic we shouldn't be reckless we should practice good stewardship of taxpayer dollars but the good thing about infrastructure is that once you build a bridge or you invest in a port or you build a new lock you have now a physical tangible asset that the public can see mm-hmm. that the public can use and not just today but tomorrow in the weeks to come so it, it really would be an appropriate investment at this particular time for the U.S. economy.
1: So we'll see if COVID-19 spurs action on infrastructure improvements or becomes a, an excuse to, to put it off even longer. We will see. Mike, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
3: Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima Fungicide, swift activity with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: And as we continue our look at the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture, we focus now on the dairy sector and especially dairy exports. We're joined by former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Hope you are well. And you know, when we when we talk, we often talk about the challenges and opportunities for dairy exports around the world. But uh, now we're facing something like we've never seen before in COVID nineteen. What impact is that having on our dairy exports? Well,
4: Mike, uh, thanks for the opportunity to be on today, and certainly hope that you and your family and all of your listeners and their families are are well and and basically uh, remaining healthy. Look. Uh, get to the bottom line here it's a gut punch uh, to commodity prices uh, across the board but especially to dairy Uh, class three milk down by 26 percent class four milk down by 36 percent at a time when dairy farmers had just begun to see some positive news uh, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year and the hope was that this would reverse uh, a decline that we've seen over the last four or five years of poor prices Uh, when food service goes down when schools close when there's economic uncertainty and people can't move, it really impacts and affects dairy uh, in a very significant and direct way, not just here domestically, but also on the export side. So uh, difficult times. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, though, the February export numbers for dairy uh, continued six months of positive growth. We, I was surprised when we, we got uh, uh, the February numbers, which were better than last year. Uh, We saw growth in Southeast Asia. We saw some resurgence in China. Uh, Mexico was a concern, continues to be a concern. But the expectation, of course, is the March, April, May numbers are are going to be, uh, will reflect, I think, more, more significantly the impact of the virus.
1: Yeah, no one knows how long this recovery will be and how long it will take to restart economies, ours as well as others around the world. So there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward.
4: There is. Let's just go around the world. Mexico, uh, just now getting into the virus, but also being impacted by oil prices uh, going down significantly and by the peso being devalued and by economic uncertainty in terms of government policies in that country. Uh, Can that be offset by the passage of the USMCA and new market opportunities in Canada? We we, we will see. Uh, Southeast Asia uh, seems to be recovering more quickly Uh, from the virus, although there's been a reoccurrence of it in in Singapore, a little bit reoccurrence in in South Korea, but uh, good positive signs there. China reopening, uh, purchasing more products, uh, positive opportunities there. Uh, Middle East, North Africa, you know, the Saudis and the Russians uh, make peace uh, and oil prices stabilize. Maybe that market returns uh, uh, more to normal once the virus gets through the process. So uh, a lot of opportunity here, and I think it's important for people to to do things, a couple things. One, I think we need to be resilient. I think we need to resolve ourselves that we're going to get through this. Uh, hopefully the USDA provides some help and assistance uh, to dairy producers and the farmers across the board uh, to a point where they can stay in business. Uh, I think we need to reflect on how uh, business will be once we do get out of this, uh, how it will change, and can we get ahead of, uh, of changes that will take place and take full advantage of them. Uh, that's what we're doing right now at us uh, deck we're trying to think about ways in which we can deal with regional supply chains ways in which we can use technology to bring people together ways in which we can continue to promote and market u.s dairy products notwithstanding the fact that offices may be shut and uh, it may be a little bit more difficult to get a hold of customers
1: Yeah, i was, was going to ask you how do you continue to work around the world when you're so limited and you can't really be in in uh... You know face-to-face contact with people you have to do so much remotely how do you keep the work going to to work in these markets
4: well we get we're encouraging our in-country offices to continue reaching out to their customers just to let them know two things one we're thinking about them and two to let them know that the u.s dairy industry is still uh in business uh you know there's a tendency to think uh, i think when you read about businesses shutting down malls shutting down restaurants shutting down whatever To think that everything is shut down well the reality is the cows don't know that there's a virus Uh, they're going to continue to produce the milk and in great abundance and so and that process uh, milk to a certain extent is going to continue to be processed so uh, at the end of the day we're still in business we still have supply Uh, we want our customers to know that Uh, secondly we we want to use the technology that we've developed we we have this uh, center of dairy excellence that we opened in singapore uh, that has great capacity to, uh, it's got a kitchen, it's got sentry panels. We can actually put on displays, exhibits. Uh, we can bring a chef in there. We can f- uh, film what that chef is doing. We can circulate that throughout the world. So we don't necessarily have to be at a conference. We can basically video conference. Uh, we can create podcasts and web webinars uh, to provide additional opportunities to connect with customers and to sort of showcase uh, U.S. dairy. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to work uh, through governments to try to open up market opportunities for example uh, we're very heavily engaged in providing a comment in, in china on the need for use of permeate in food production hoping to see that uh, basically uh, be approved here in the next uh, uh, few months which will open up new opportunities we're continuing to encourage the chinese hog industry to use our products to basically rebuild uh, that industry so There are ways in which uh, we're just not giving up. We're working every single day. We're going to try to figure out how to be better, smarter, how to reimagine what we do uh, so that we're in a position not only to get through this particular circumstance, but be prepared if and when uh, something like this
1: ever happens again. We're talking with Tom Vilsack, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Mr. Secretary, everything is COVID-driven right now, but are there other factors that may come into play as we look at later into this year that could impact dairy exports?
4: Well, deeply concerned about Mexico. Uh, obviously, their economy was struggling to begin with. Uh, we've got a situation now uh, where uh, uh, the oil prices have gone down to the point where their economy is slumping. The peso is devalued. Uh, and so the bottom line uh, very concerned about that market want to make sure that we do everything we can to strengthen it to make sure that we're still uh, able to move product across the border we had some uh, we had some concerns about that recently uh, but our team worked to to make sure that uh, our our custom our our processing facilities could get certification uh, certificates and so forth so product can move across the border anxious to see USMCA, uh, want to make sure it's implemented properly, implemented right, take the time to do it right, but hopeful that that uh, new market opportunity can can also create uh, some additional business opportunities in the year. Mexico's an area, Middle East, North Africa, for the same reason, oil prices uh, a concern. And then the whole issue with this uh, recovery, Mike, you know, if the public health stuff works and the, and the economic interventions work in individual countries and markets, we should see a sharp, accelerated growth if either one of those don't work if the health stuff doesn't work or the economic intervention doesn't work then we could see a longer period of time for recovery all of which will have an impact obviously on business opportunities
1: yeah part of that big unknown uh, and finally you you referenced this earlier about assistance from uh, usda to ag sectors and i talked about this earlier in the program you've got uh, You've got money there that USDA can use, but it's going to go quickly because so much of agriculture is really hurting now. Uh, kind of give us your thoughts, uh, even though we're going through unprecedented times—never seen anything like this. But you've been in that job that Sonny Perdue's in now, and and when you look at what he's faced with as far as how to allocate funds and and with so much need out there, I, I know you can appreciate the the challenge that he faces. Uh, kind of give us your thoughts on being in that at that desk and in that chair and having to make those kind of choices and decisions?
4: Well, it's tough. Uh, a lot of pressure on the secretary. And, and he's in a very difficult circumstance, it's not just because of the unique nature of this, of this challenge, but the fact that he doesn't have his full team, right? Uh, many positions haven't been filled in, in many of these departments. And he doesn't have his full team being able to be in the office in the same room at the same time. Having the conversation. I mean, you can do it technology-wise, but it's not just—it's not quite the same. So, he, so he's got some challenges there. Uh, I think he also has to understand that that various commodities obviously have been negatively impacted, but some have been have been been impacted more, some some a bit less. So, dairy, for example, steepest declines in and price reductions for dairy, on top of five years of tough prices. So, my hope is that he understands and I'm sure he does, the, the, the different uh, status or different situations of the commodities. And I hope he understands that, uh, you know, maybe under normal circumstances, you wouldn't reopen the margin coverage protection program. You'd say, look, if people made the decision not to participate, it's too late maybe in this unique circumstance he says well you know maybe under the circumstances for this particular circumstance it's okay to let people back in the program so they keep, keep them in business uh, maybe it's okay to uh, to be a bit more flexible on the school uh, feeding sites and school feeding meals because this is a unique circumstance we didn't expect schools to be closed for months uh, potentially for months and maybe we need to figure out a, a better way to make sure that supplies that we do purchase get to those food banks immediately, because the need is absolutely immediate. It's not something that's going to be six months from now. It's 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 six days from now. Uh, so he's he's got a lot of pressure, a lot of challenge, but uh, but I'm sure he's up to it.
1: Yeah, because this situation is so different than anything we've ever seen. You may have to do things differently than we've done in the past to try to deal with it and address it best as possible, uh, Mr. Secretary. Right. As always. Thank you for being with us. Stay safe, and uh, we'll stay in touch with you and uh, keep up to date on how the the work is going to try to move our products, in this case uh, the milk in particular, dairy products in particular, around the world. Thank you so very much for being with us. You bet, Mike. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Up next, our monthly check-in with uh, Michael Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. As you would expect, those numbers reflecting the pandemic that we're dealing with, the crisis situation with uh, COVID-19, and the numbers down sharply. We'll find out how sharply next on AOA.
3: Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a US EPA restricted use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need
1: to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams each month we get the results of the purdue cme group ag economy barometer and we're joined again by purdue ag economist michael langemeyer michael thank you for joining us and i guess no surprise that the the numbers the latest numbers reflect COVID 19 and the impact it's having on everybody
5: that's definitely the case and uh, and and the the index crashed from 168 and 167 in january to 121 in march and uh, when we asked people kind of an open-ended question on on, on their thoughts about what's going on COVID COVID 19 was was on their minds
1: it now seems like a long time ago but it was not that long ago that there was so much optimism starting to build in agriculture. Yeah, plenty of challenges, but optimism that this was going to be the turnaround year, and then coronavirus came into our lives.
5: Yes, that was definitely the case. I mean, in September, the economy barometer index was 121, and it built all the way up to the the mid-160s in January and February. Uh, When I was doing meetings this winter, and you look at price prospects, this looks like the year that we were going to turn things around. And we were actually going to be able to build working capital rather than deteriorate working capital. But, of course, things change.
1: So let's look at how did you frame the question? You asked them if they're worried about the impact of coronavirus on their farms?
5: We asked them if they were worried about the COVID-19 of the coronavirus on farm profitability, and so it was a little more specific in that. And three-quarters said they were fairly were very worried uh, but again when we opened the, when we answered it, when we asked them an open ended question about what was on their mind it was very clear that uh, the coronavirus was on their mind and 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 by this time already when we were did, did this survey in mid march prices were starting to slide uh, and, and and people were realizing that prices were sliding because of the coronavirus
1: and as we're all aware of now and we hear a lot about this there's the Economic side of this, there's the health side of this. So, I mean, there's a lot on people's minds right now.
5: Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, we're focusing, of course, on the on the management, the economic side of things. And and one of the things that was that was interesting to me is, is we expected the index of current conditions uh, to slide pretty hard, and it did. Uh, it reached levels we hadn't seen since uh, uh, since uh, several months ago. Uh, but also, the index of future expectations slid. Uh, Slid a long ways, and so it's not just this upcoming year uh, that people are worried about. They're worried about the next next three to five years, uh, and 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 so even if this, even if the corona, if we get a handle on this coronavirus and and the number of cases are are, are reduced later this summer, they're still worried about the long run impacts of, of this on agriculture.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. No one knows how long the recovery will be, or what things will look like after this is done. Or because you know, already they're talking about it could come back and things like that. I mean, we know you, if you have a major event like this, and this is one kind of like we've never seen before. But anytime you look at major world events, things are are not exactly the same afterwards as they were before. Yeah, you just don't
5: know how long that tail is going to be. And, and and one of the things, you know, thinking about the index of current conditions, I mean, we asked some questions related to, to bearishness and bullishness of of corn and soybean prices, and that was a big impact on the index of current conditions. But I was a little surprised to see, uh, to see even the optimism related to land values in the next five years slid quite a bit. I mean, it, if you look at February's results, 58%. Thought land values would be higher than five, in five years, that dropped to 41 percent. And so, and so I wanted to make sure I made that point is, is that they're really worried about the next five years. So very, they're facing yeah, a very long tail uh, on on the impacts of this coronavirus.
1: Yeah, that is significant because when you get into land values, unlike you know uh, crop prices up and down within a year, but those land values are more that long-term indicator, right?
5: Yes, and eighty percent of eighty percent of the U.S. balance sheet is land values, and so that's what we use for collateral, and, and very important source of collateral. And so uh, that that when when people start thinking that their land values are going to slide, uh, you start to worry a little bit.
1: And also, I think last month we were talking about how the market facilitation program payments had certainly helped and even led to some optimism, kind of getting uh, farmers through a tough time. Now we're kind of looking at what kind of assistance can agriculture get uh, through these different packages being being passed by Congress. Uh, now those become part of the uh, the equation in getting through this.
5: That's definitely the case. And and uh, in our county PLC, I mean, depending on, on, on where you look in the country, it uh, looks like there will be some payouts. Uh, In in 2020, for both corn and soybeans, I haven't looked at wheat in as much detail, but certainly for corn and soybeans, it looks like there's going to be some possibility of payments, but they're not real large uh, in the estimates I've done. And so so one of the questions we asked individuals this month, do you expect an MFP type of payment in 2020? And 62% said they did expect something. And so it won't be called an MFP payment because it's not a trade payment. But, but they're expecting some kind of payment similar to what, we, what they received in 18 and 19 uh, in terms of the MFP.
1: So the way things are going, and this looks to last uh, certainly a while, I would guess we're going to see, when we talk a month from now, probably much the same, depending on whatever the news is. Maybe there's a breakthrough. Maybe, you know, something uh, helps uh, lift spirits. But it looks like this is going, COVID-19 is going to weigh on farmers uh, attitudes and sentiments uh, for some time yet
5: yeah and, and there's two things of course that all the market analysts are looking at that are going to be very important here one of those is ethanol demand I mean the ethanol demand has been pretty weak here but if we did see some signs of improvement that certainly would would improve uh, optimism and also uh, what's going on with exports uh, obviously the the agriculture commodities are heavily dependent on exports Uh, more so for some commodities like wheat and soybeans uh, and and pork. Uh, But I think those two factors are going to be extremely important in in addition uh, to coronavirus. Obviously, all these things are interrelated.
1: Right. Michael, thanks a lot. Stay safe. We'll talk with you next month. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer with the uh, the latest results from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Stay safe. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow on AOA.
3: Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk
4: with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.